have I told you about the Shannon Hearn Andrew Gafka? <gasps> oh, I've forgotten all about that until you just Gaff brought Gaff. up. I told my dad about it. Oh my god, yeah. that was like for like three years. I thought that Shannon Hearn was Andrew Gaff. Yeah. Yeah. How how good's that for a gaff? It's the gaffiest <laughs> gaff of all the gaffs. Gaff. Even more gaffy than Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually a gaff. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad we got that out of the way. And he wouldn't believe me either. We'll start at the game. It was at the uh, Hawthorne West Coast game in May. And like, Andrew Gaff's right in front of us. Like, that's not Andrew Gaff. That's an, He's bald. <laughs> Are you serious? And he wouldn't believe me. He had to look it up on his phone. Um, I was just I was like, appalled. Appalled. And I was like, who's this this guy getting around in the number three for West Coast? <laughs> he's quite good. Is that is that Shannon Hearn? Well, he's also quite good. Yes, he's yeah, very no, good he's, today. Shannon Hearn's a good player. That's why I thought he was Andrew Gaff. Monday's experts Always know what's best Always tell you what you should have done Monday's experts Always know what's cooking How the game was lost And how it could have been won And when Monday comes around Everyone's an expert in my town Monday's experts Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The People's Game. I'm Jack Bannister, your host as ever. I've just had a 13-minute conversation about the Twitter account called Jack Watts Doing Things uh, off air. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Gordon Hunter Meredith and Casey Simons. Um, We've been missing for a while, but we're all back and it's really good to see you both. Hi guys. Thanks JB for having us in Back in the Pod Cave. Plenty of good things to talk about. Well, there's a lot to talk about, and I'd just like to start off. I don't know. This is a little Banos rant. Um, it's not about me, but it is really. Um, it's always about Ju- you. Know. July is uh, July is a gen- genuinely like shit month. Well, it's interesting. So, would you have like a break? Would you have a, a July break? Because they're doing that now. Like the Premier League, for instance, is going on Christmas break this season. I mean, you kind of have it, but you don't because you don't have a dedicated bye week. You have the split bye. Yeah. So instead of, instead of having the three rounds of split byes in the China game. You just have a week off. Well, maybe, maybe we can all go chase the sun. Well, you know, maybe what we should do: make the cow, make the comp nineteen teams, introduce a Tassie team, have a buy, and then have like a second like week where we just don't have footy in the middle of the year, so everyone has two buys over the course of the year. I reckon that would be. And but yeah, forgetting that, that was just an opportunity to drop in how much we love Tasmania. <laughs> um, like, I just reckon it would be better to have a, a week or two off in the middle of the year. But footy is the only good thing about winter. That's what keeps me going. I need footy in winter. Otherwise, it is just cold and miserable. You're going to take that away from me, Jack. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're optimistic because you're <laughs> right. Like, if we didn't have footy, what would we have in July? No, nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, most some people don't have alcohol. <laughs> so, like, this is just a deep, dark mental health slope. Do you suffer from, like, footy fatigue, though? Like, do you get halfway through the footy season and go, like, I wouldn't mind a break? Or is it your froth on footy, like footy happens and it's like, oh, four days till more footy. Like, which, like, because that's like, obviously the players will get footy fatigue because they're in it, mm. they're doing it every day. The commentators seem to get footy fatigue. I don't know why because they're, they're clearly the most privileged people in the game. Uh, you get paid to talk about footy on the mic. Like, you have no reason to complain, but fair enough. They got footy fatigue as well. <laughs> but like, do, yeah, do any of us get footy fatigue or are we more just like, please, more footy? Otherwise, yeah, 
winter is coming, I'm not getting out of it. No, I mean, I think my... I, I'm not sure that this is the phase of the year to make Thursday nights a, a, to extend the week. Like, I'm not a big Thursday night lover. Oh, really? Yeah. I love it. I think it's great. Why? Because I love coming home and knowing that there's something on TV that's good that I can watch. That's mm. not just random, some sort of sitcom that I'm not interested in. And more AFL 360. I get footy fatigue of AFL 360. I just want two nights of that a week. You can't get four. sick of Jack Rewalt hosting. Speaking of Jack's doing things. <laughs> the interesting one about that, yeah, I think people get, you get fatigue, or you get story fatigue. Like, it happens, that's why the yeah. news cycle yeah. happens in a story will eventually peter out of the news cycle. It's like, well, we're done talking about it because it's, mm. it's happened. And if, I think, yeah, a Thursday night should be footy night because that way yeah. the cycle doesn't start again until Monday. And so you spend, we got like a recap day, big story, fluffy story, preview, off we go. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. And I think probably from a selfish Melbourne-based point of view, I want those Thursday night games to be interstate games because I don't want to go to the footy on a Thursday night. I want to watch it. See, I agree 100%. I think it's Thursday night is always a television thing for me, Yeah, which is why I like the finals where we have Thursday night interstate as the opening final. I think that's a great model. Mm. To be honest, I think if I didn't have sport on a Thursday, I would probably love it. It's just that, like, I don't... It's like people have sport in the thing. Yeah, so, yeah, and that's yeah. probably, like, one of the things... Sometimes I'm wondering, like, is you're not your, like, key demographic, like, training on a Thursday or, like, doing... Well, no, stuff? because who plays sport on a weekend? What do you mean? Like, you would never schedule... You'd never schedule a game at 3.20 on a Sunday or one forty-five on a Saturday afternoon. Because the people who can... Like, because they're the people yeah. who are playing it. Like, yeah. people that play footy don't go to the footy on a Saturday. Yeah, no, you're right. I, yeah, it just like I think overall it's probably a good thing. It's just like for me, I'm like, uh, why does the footy market not cater exclusively to me? Have you not realised that this game <laughs> is just about me? Like, And how I need to get through July? Yeah. Head wobble. I'm and sad, I'm cold. Maybe we should start a Twitter account called Jack Bannister doing things or not doing things. In terms of interstate Thursday night footy, how hard is it to get to those grounds? Because like, like, why don't you want to go to footy on a Thursday night in Melbourne? I would, but it's not cold. in July. July, I would be at home by the heater. I would go in summer. Like, I always go opening round. Um, and I think that's more of a spectacle thing, too, probably. Mm. But there would be a couple that I would go to for sure, probably at the tail ends of the season when the weather's a bit better. So, but like, so why should an Adwegian be forced to go to Thursday night footy then? It's nicer weather in Perth. <laughs> I didn't realize Adwegians lived in Perth. Yeah. Oh, are they saying, like, Weijin, like, West Coast? Like, oh, no, they no. were calling me, like, and, a legal. No, 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 an Adwegian, a person <laughs> oh. from Adelaide. Oh. So I never heard that term before, Adwegian. I think I made it up. It's either it was Tazwegian. Play on, play on. But really, everyone's a Weijin. Um Well, they've got half an hour time difference. Well, they do, and it makes such a big difference because they're 10 years plus half an hour behind. Um, <laughs> but, like, no, actually, Adelaide Oval Thursday night's great because it's really easy. It's quite an easy ground to access. In terms of like it's like it's less effort if you live in the suburbs of Adelaide to get into Adelaide than it is to get into Melbourne if you live in the suburbs of Melbourne. Do you reckon both of our major stadiums are mm. legitimately a five minute walk from the train station? I reckon that Flinders Street walk is like ten or fifteen. You probably run it because you're insane. But <laughs> you get off at Richmond. Yeah, I'm, like I know. I'm just I'm just look. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, I was and trying I'm to like... say something nice about Adelaide. And in terms of a cold, like play the games that Eddie had. They have a roof. It's still freezing. It's at also soulless at Eddie Had. Yeah. But as I said before, this is from a selfish Melbourne centric point of view. Like, if West Coast played in Melbourne on a Thursday night in July, I would definitely go for sure if it was my team. But I'm more likely to watch other games on a Thursday night if mm. they're not in Melbourne. Like, that's just me sitting at home, being comfortable, just footies on. I'm going to watch that. But I just, I don't know. Thursday night footy. 
going to it when it's not my teams is probably not something I'm going to do. Yeah. But then I, yeah, I mean, I struggle a little bit to go when it's not Richmond at the moment. That's just busyness more than anything. I went to that West Coast Hawthorne game that day. Yeah. A while back. But that was mainly because I wanted to see West Coast lose (laughs) for retribution. You were brutal that day. (laughs) Kind of was a Richmond thing in my heart of hearts. You just wanted to scope out um, Andrew Gaff. Shannon (laughs) Hearn. So, footy on the weekend. Gordo, you were all over Adelaide and Geelong. I'm quite confused about why this is the year that we are saying footy's dying, the death of footy, the death of sport argument this year. So, between 1st and 12th, there are three wins separating them on the ladder. We've had some, like, yeah, there are there are some teams struggling at the bottom, and but that, that just is the case of an expanded comp. But other than that, like, we don't know who's going to be in the top eight yet. We don't, after this week's results, we don't really know who's going to finish in the top four or even the top two, and there's no real standout team, and yet everyone is still on that. Well, they're coming out of it. Maybe it's, maybe it's a July thing. Maybe it's a depths of winter thing that, like, footy is bad because it's cold or whatever. This weekend kind of confirmed that we don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the season, which is really, really exciting. And that started with Adelaide Geelong because the presumption was that, you know, Geelong will go in there and just, just dominate because... Adelaide aren't playing that well. Adelaide aren't playing that well. they got blokes coming back from injury. Geelong have beaten teams that they shouldn't have had when we all thought Geelong were no good. And so it's, just, it's, an, it's a very rapid-fire cycle of this team's amazing, this team's no good. It is, isn't it? Because, like, after the Melbourne win on the weekend, we were back talking about Melbourne as a contender. Mm. And, I'm like, two weeks ago, we were talking about how they just don't stand up on the big stage. Mm. And then we had that whole, like, oh, like, Richmond lost to West Coast and West Coast were the team to beat. And then three weeks later, Richmond had still lost another game to Port. And then, like, a week and a half after losing that game, they went out and beat Geelong and Sydney. And everyone's like, oh, Richmond then daylight. I, I just, yeah, we're very, you said this before, we're very, very end-related. We don't have a, an ability to enjoy the journey. And so I took that idea to the nth extreme on our magazine, Sporting Chance magazine, and invented a thing called the Championship Belt, which I essentially just stole from our rugby union. So over at Mudderton Cup in New Zealand, they have a thing called the Logger Wood, mm. which is mm. I like, essentially just like a, a belt or a trophy, but a, a team just owns it or holds it when they're the champion, and then they challenge other clubs to take it off them. Yeah, so every home game is... heavyweight boxing set up. Yeah, yeah. so every every home game is a challenge game, and then you have to have another three challenge games a year, something like that. And I just said, now let's make it really simple. Whoever, Whichever team is currently holding the belt, the next team they play, they have to defend it, and if they don't, you lose the belt. So like under that rule, the current belt holders are GWS. <laughs> Right. Because they just beat Richmond on the weekend. So now they now they are the holders of the Sporting Chance belt. Who do they play next week? So Port and GWS Ooh. next week. So that's a good belt fight. And then that's how you that's how you get rid of footy fatigue as well. Because it's like, now this is a belt game. Mm. And then right. you go into the so ladder positions, which kind of lie because of the, like, the depth of... Who's played what. Yeah. And like kind of fixtures and all that kind of stuff. With this, you only change position on the rankings if you beat a team above you. So if you if you're playing last and you smash them, doesn't matter. You meant to do that. Yeah. But this one, you can only yeah, you can only progress up the challenger board. Wait, I've seen a problem with this. What's the problem? Richmond aren't top. Well, yeah, we lost on the weekend. I know. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's well, only a problem. I couldn't for you. actually see us for a while. No, I like it. I think it's it's an in, it's a very interesting. If you look at the path of this, Richmond lost it to Adelaide, and then Adelaide lost it to Collingwood. Collingwood gave it back to Richmond, who then lost it to West Coast, who lost it to Sydney. And then it went back to Richmond. It's actually quite an interesting way of looking at the year. 
I think what it, like and what this week of footy has proven is like literally there's still like if someone doesn't turn up and play at potential like you'll still you'll get beaten like again and again this year and over the last probably even last year and the year before I'd say in a lot of ways like we've just started to see that like if you don't play your best football you lose the other thing I think especially the Adelaide Geelong game showed and a lot of the games this weekend actually is just that speed like speed is the number one thing that can cover up all cracks so as much as people hop hop on about Richmond's kind of like suffering forward defence and like kind of like killing the game. If you have speed, you can defeat that. Geelong play much the same way as Richmond. So like Geelong, Collingwood and Richmond all play vaguely the same way. It's territory, it's time in possession, even to the extent where I think, you know, Richmond are deliberately kicking behinds in games so that they can keep the ball down that end to prevent teams getting us on the counter or definitely getting us at the centre clearance where we are being absolutely oh, woeful this yep. year. But if you're if you're fast, you don't have to be clean. You, you can just be fast. Like an SM will steal a game just because they have runners. A GOS with a full list has runners. West Coast can go coast to coast and they have plenty of, of just yeah. outside class. Yeah, if you, a lot of they're the ones you can steal games from the teams that kind of grit and grind and try and drag you on the inside. So that's yeah. kind of been the trend. Mm. And then the, oh, I suppose the argument is always does, does this hot up in finals. I think we've had a lot, a lot more finals type games this year. This year to yeah. suggest that it, it might. Well, there are there are a lot of finals type teams. I think you said there's still twelve teams that can make mm. the eight. So, I, I think it's interesting your point about Adelaide. Like I thought the week before the Adelaide Richmond game, Adelaide just didn't take the game on enough. So like early on in the game when they were sort of on top, they were hitting forty five kicks and getting the ball off the line and sort of making themselves able to move the ball quickly. And Richmond was struggling. Um, and then I guess the the swing came on the back of I think Richmond kicking four behinds in a row. Um, and actually starting to lock the ball in. And then you just found that Adelaide stopped taking those risks. And I feel like it, it's a bit of a catch-22 because if you do just kick it down the line, you inevitably give it back anyway. I'd almost rather, from a coaching point of view, see Adelaide turn the ball over, playing a really aggressive style that is actually going to win than what, they, than what they did do against Richmond. It was interesting they were able to rectify that for the Geelong game. I don't think it's any coincidence that they won against Geelong the week after losing to Richmond. Of course, last night was... Well, it was yuck for me. I was sort of yelling at the TV and eating another tub of... My sister actually took a photo of me. I was eating a tub of Halo Top (laughs) under a pink blanket and she put it on the family WhatsApp just like every girl after a breakup ever is me right now. And um, it was a bit... It was interesting. But the the ice cream was better than the football because Richmond were pretty yuck, I thought. Um, But on the flip side of that, I thought GWS dealt with Richmond really well. Like they were able to get the ball... This is where I disagree with you and I don't... Richmond weren't yuck. I thought Richmond GWS were was putrid. very good. I thought Richmond were putrid, but they weren't, if they were putrid, they wouldn't have lost by only two points. Yeah, but expectations, man. But Richmond is not a dominant team. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. I, I think so. When you say that they played putridly last night, well, I, I did think, they, think did. they played poorly. But there's also this is the old like there's two teams. So I thought GWS did a lot of things. Like the number wise of they were both teams are very even across the park. Mm. GWS. Most teams that are good clearance teams are just they're not they don't get a massive extra number of clearances unless you're Melbourne, but they do more with it after that clearance. Hmm. So like a West Coast Collingwood yeah, yeah, yeah. Giants who are who are good clearance teams will score off those clearances. Yeah. So Richmond haven't been scoring off clearances. All the things that you think like with the players who are Richmond's best players, you'd think, oh, like that that's how it'd be scoring. We yeah. don't like we don't no. we don't we don't win clearances that alone score. Eighteenth in center clearances. Hmm. Yeah. And but you'd say yeah our best players are, are Koch and Dusty, and so we 
yeah, we just rely we rely on our role players more than any yeah. other team. They actually lost contested ball only by five. Mm. So that's fairly even, really, yeah. over the course of that. That's one possession a quarter. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was probably, and yeah, maybe I've been a little bit uh, harsh on GWS in terms of how well they actually did play, but um, looking at the game, it was just actually GWS took a lot of those half chances that Richmond didn't take, which was kind of, kind of summarised by Castagna kicking zip five. Mm. Um, I said to you when I came on air, there was a shot that Bolton had late in the game where he just had to kick a score and he managed to miss the lot, which that was a genuine break-the-TV moment for me. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of those. It was, But, it was, yeah, it was a strange game. I I don't know what you think of the narrative uh, that Richmond can't win interstate. Well, it's a fact. Like, it's it's a statistical fact. Mm. We haven't won interstate this year. Am I worried about it? Not not in particular. Mm. The only concerning part is just like we haven't beaten the team. We haven't beaten really good teams. Like that could be the other argument. Like Richmond are doing enough to be at the top of the ladder against like the wing the games they expect us to win. They're not stealing any. Mm. But then again, like we've only lost four times, and you you take that. Like when you play, yeah. like as I said, the, the, the season's so close that like coming into that game, we would have been you know a, a probably a, a proper fifty fifty game, but maybe like a a forty-five, fifty-five. Once you're taking, like, taking into like home ground advantage. Yep. And so, if you lose, you know, four of those games against teams you're evenly matched up against, that kind of makes sense. Like, just ha- just happens to be interstate. Like, have we had we had this game being played the MCG? I reckon Giants still win. Like, yeah, and I kind of said that to you off air and to Dad. Like, we lost to West Coast at a point where they were red, red, red hot. Hmm. Like, if you play that game in the MCG, I actually think West Coast still win. And I think almost the same of the Port Adelaide game. and I, So I'm almost... It, like, it's not like Richmond have gone into state and lost to Frio and lost to the Gold Coast. They're not losing just because the game is interstate. Mm. They're, they're actually losing to teams who are playing good football. Um, and in all bar the uh, West Coast game, they haven't been smashed. No, I mean... They've Port, competed yeah, in a close yeah. game and they've lost. Port Adelaide, they kind of lost it in a... 10 minutes of madness where they just shipped bulk goals. Yeah. And then the Crows game early on, you just kind of had... They, the Crows were just like a little bit better all night, and that resulted to 30 points across the game. Mm. But Richmond did, early in the last, have a point where they were getting really red hot back into it. The only one that they were out of was was the West Coast game. Um, so I think those losses... I think it's partly coincidence that they're... Um, all interstate losses. but And maybe this is a media thing as well in terms of re- everyone wants to have a team that we're chasing. Like, this is the benchmark, and we've been doing that all year. Like, we did that with West Coast when they got on a run, and then we did it with Richmond. And it's it's just strange. Like, that's an easy narrative. Like, we want that team to put there. Like, last year we had the Crows, and we just put them there. And, like, whether that was... De- you can argue about whether that's deserved or not, but that's rarely the way that the season pans out. It's mad with how even it is that you could have a table-topping team that has, like, five or six losses, mm, which yeah. I think is good for the game because it means that all your finals are interesting. And, like, if GWS finish fifth, you, do you, you don't want to play them. Do you know what I mean? Like, that they are like there's a lot of teams that are genuine threats, and I think that's a really good thing. And that's why whenever the, the kind of footy is buggered narrative is easy. It's kind of interesting though that a lot of a lot of time when you have a, a dynasty type team or an absolute dominant team, they actually like in terms of the number of viewers and the number of interests actually outranks 
So like Serena dominating, dominating tennis and Roger dominating tennis has actually grown tennis because you have like a superstar that you can mm. kind of like take note in. The yeah the the previous uh, Golden State Warriors Cavaliers whitewash was actually one of the most watched finals for those four games of all time. Like people really like yeah. and respect watching really really good teams. I think that actually might be why we've gone down this narrative football trying to have that team because we don't oh. like we don't have that we don't have that team. Like yeah. we don't we're, we're not seeing anyone come out and be this dominant force. For it. We're always going to be searching but for we're, it. Because we're always talk, like, we're talking about Richmond in that, oh, look at them, they're playing jokes at halftime, isn't that nice? And then West, like we similar had narratives around West Coast. Like, we sti- you're right, we want that team. Mm. They just, they don't exist right now. Correct, yeah. Do you like, think that's something the AFL is really aware of too? Like, I think they're genuinely trying to manufacture that. Like, I think they are looking at those examples you mentioned, Gordo. But, I think they're trying to build that. Yeah, but that's but I boring. I know. But I was going to say, like, do we want it though? Well, but no. is, it, is it boring? Because we say, do we want it? But, like, the numbers say yes. Yeah. I well, find that yeah. interesting. Because I think we want those particular players. Like, I think we want those hero players. But do we want those hero, like, teams? I don't know. Well, the historical precedent with this in football is the machine, who were very big around the same time as Farlap and Bradman. Depression time. I don't know whether there's a romanticism going back to that in football. Because, like, the Brisbane teams, it was like, oh, my God, they might be the four-peat team, finally. And we kind of romanticised about Brisbane. But, like, the Hawthorne Grand Finals were boring. It was like a team that was just clearly better than everyone else winning. Yeah, but I also think, like, that's, that's closer to broken footy than what I think we currently are in. Yeah, no, I agree. Like that was boring. But yeah, but that's because they hadn't worked out a way. Like yeah, the the pressure focused teams we have currently is is in response to those Clarks and Hawthorne teams. Yeah, well, that's the natural hmm. cycle. Whereas I think the you go know, back one dynasty to the Brisbane Lions dynasty, that was just really good football. That like, was they, pure. Well, there's no such thing as pure football because <laughs> their coach, their pay, total their, football, whatever. But uh, total football. But they had both sides of it. They weren't, yeah. Which is very funny because people go, oh, we, want, we need to get rid of congestion and we need to get rid of kind of these like rolling malls. If you do that, you get Hawthorne for those three years. Yeah. A very then, like yeah. uncontested kick mark. You're playing, you know, kick to kick across 18 players across the field. There is no tackling. There is no pressure. It's very glad we The cleanest team wins. This whole, this whole phenomenon of like, like the reality is we don't actually know what we want. Do you know what I mean? Like we haven't, and we said this when we were talking originally about crisis. Like everyone sort of doesn't actually know what we're aspiring to, and doesn't have an, an understanding of what people actually like and what narratives they want within the game. It's a Gladwellian yeah. phenomenon, and that's where the problem is because that's when all the discourse about what it isn't happens because we don't know what we want, and that's where we see the problems in it. That's where most of life's problems come from. I would have thought. I would agree. Jack Watts would agree. <laughs> Did you listen to or watch the players only on the couch this week on Fox Footy? Uh, I've seen the grabs. I haven't actually watched it. Because one of their suggestions was they, if you want to try and fix footy, if it needs fixing or whatever, don't include anyone who is directly involved in the game. Hmm. So don't like don't don't survey players because at the moment the whole think tank is like players and coaches. Everyone has and, a vested interest and administrators and all this stuff. Hmm. Now like, well, don't 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 interview any of them. Like, if if we're going to say, and we talk, everyone pretends to talk about it from a kind of like fans' perspective, just ask the fans what they want. 
take a massive old survey like they do every year in the Herald Sun. Yeah. Do the footy survey and do you think pies are too expensive and what time would you like your Thursday night game to be? <laughs> then ask them, like, what do you think is a good game of footy in 25 words or less? And then you take everyone's that response and you work out what do most people want because that that's, that's their kind of solution. That kind of makes more sense because they said as a player, like, we like structures and coaching because it means you go out there and you know what to do. Yeah. Turns out instruction's good for, like, you know, fulfilling achievable goals. <laughs> Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And it's interesting because the AFL does have that data available to them. So I don't, I'm not too heavily involved with them. I'm super aware of the work they do, but they do it every year. The AFL Fans Association hosts their annual survey. This year, I think, was the biggest one that they did, and they hosted it at Punt Road. And they had, like, a couple of hundred people there and pretty much had, like, someone chairing a table, getting all of that feedback. And they do deliver it to the AFL, but I don't think the AFL does anything with it. So they do have, like, a pool of all this data from fans for what they want from the game, but I think it just goes to show that the AFL probably not really ready to listen to that because then, like you said, they've got their invested interest on in how they want it to be too. The most interesting, or yeah, and perhaps even insightful one was uh, Anthony Hudson on radio accidentally let it slip that perhaps the obsession with goal scoring from the AFL and from the media is ad revenue. Yeah, well, that mm. is a. I know that because he's like every yeah. time, like every time there's a like on radio, every time there's a goal, the goal is brought to you by this. The replay is brought to you by this. The scoreboard is brought to you by this. On and in, on TV, it's you can cut to an ad for twenty five seconds. Yeah. yeah. Whilst the ball goes back to the midway, and if, if you have less like a game, there is like a model you can do of like how many goals you need per game to break even on whatever advertising revenue they need to acquire. That, like, that seems... It's the sort of thing that people throw up as, like, a conspiracy, but, like, I have no doubt that there's some legitimacy yeah. to that. It's interesting that An- Anthony Hudson let it slip. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear the context around it. Mm. But, I'm like, I wish I was surprised. It's really sad to think about it that way. I'm surprised he said it. I wonder if he's going to get a bit of... Was, it was a while back knuckles. when Jay when Jay was in peak, like, football's ruined. Yeah. When Jared, I love that that was a Jared mode. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. But like, for, for all of June, yeah. it was, he had he had your July moment in June. Okay. He was like, footy's ruined, footy's ruined for, like, well, it might have nothing 28, to do with footy. It was 28 just July. straight days. It's just cold. <laughs> I have to dust fucking frost off my windscreen when I get up in the morning. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting point, though, because uh, we were on the stream at hockey today, and the way that you have to adjust sporting coverage for the actual practicality for an amateur sports team that had never done it. Like, we had a 10-minute halftime, and we got to, like, six minutes through a halftime break, and we're like, right, where did it go now, lads? And like, how long left? Three minutes? Oh, okay, twiddle your thumbs, boys. Like, because I don't need to... Like, I don't, there's nothing more that I can do other than confuse you more. Mm. Um, so I thought, like, it's just an interesting and unfamiliar thing for me. And I know for hockey... Like, they had a rule where they automatically stopped time and they had 45 seconds before a penalty corner, so you could have an ad. And so, like, that, this is not a new thing. But I also think you've got to realise that the product is what made it worth selling ads on originally anyway. So you can't, you know what I mean? Like, you can't put the cart before the horse. Is that, you, can I use that analogy there? You can, you can. Uh, that's and, what I, and, I the extre- I, yeah. and the extreme version of that is in the US now. They've rejigged a lot of the timeouts in certain in most of the leagues so that they can fit in an ad, because they because they used to go like time matches be dispersed evenly amongst halves, mm. and then coaches are like, well, it doesn't really matter if I score a goal halfway through the second quarter. It matters if I have I need to score the clutch goals in the fourth. So they used up all their timeouts in a row in the fourth quarter. They're like, oh, well, but we need to have ads throughout 
the game. Or we can't have back-to-back-to-back ads, so then where we fit our ads in. So now they have, like, officials of timeouts, which is just an opportunity to take an ad halfway through the quarter. Sigh. The commercialisation of sport. Moving on somewhat, uh, Casey, you were at the MCG today to witness the, I guess, the the rebirth, maybe, of this West Coast juggernaut. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who are now, I'd like to just add, they have a, a very good record at the MCG. They're 100%. They are. Was it 23 years since we last beat Collingwood at the MCG. It's that long. It's that long. Um, was anyone was anyone here alive then? Hmm. Wait, what year? 94 or 5? I was definitely alive. I was, I was alive, <laughs> I think, just. I had a message from my mum today and she said, uh, the last time uh, West Coast beat Collingwood, you weren't even a supporter of them yet. And I had to go back and say, um, yeah, I was. I was eight years old. I'm definitely older than you think, mum. Sorry. She's like, oh, yeah. You have an old daughter. Sorry. Whack. Top that. <laughs> um, but, yes, no, it was a very nerve-wracking game, um, even though I think a lot of neutrals would have thought we had it locked and loaded sort of just after the start of the third quarter, but I was not... Not confident until probably Jack Darling got that free kick in front of goal late in the fourth. And then I was like, yep, I can sit back and relax now. And that was about five minutes to go. So <laughs> I do love the just built up internal anxiety of a supporter. Because oh. I was there, I was there as well. And yeah. I was like, halfway through the second quarter, I was like, Eagles are winning this easy. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I just like, had no confidence at all. I think, um, Oh, the knickknack injury rattled me as a fan. Because um, I think, I mean, we've covered for him before, but not in a way that like we've been able to do that on a fly and I didn't think Scott Lysett would have been quite prepared to step up to do that against the top two side at the MCG like I thought it really would have shaken us up a bit but he did very well so I was very impressed Um, and then I just as soon as I knew our whole fourth line was coming back in I always just thought that's just too good to be true like uh, we can't just come back in and win it. And then when Mason Cox was out at the start of the game too, I was like, yep, too many good things are happening now. So I probably jinxed Nick Nat. So I'm sorry, Nat. It's my fault. Um, <laughs> I did wear my Nick Nat socks though, so I feel like I was trying my best for him. <laughs> um, and so did you put the little slump down to purely the personnel? Like as a West Coast supporter, what was your emotions within that period? Were you like, oh, yeah, this is kind of explainable? Like the three weeks? Yeah. yeah. Um, or was it just that you were overseas? Well, yeah, I wasn't in the country, so I wasn't here to cheer them on. So it was definitely my fault. I take that responsibility. Um, I just think we weren't prepared to be as good as what we were. And going 10 games in a row was a lot to ask. And, I mean, of course I wanted them to, you know, have that perfect season and be undefeated. But we lost round one, so it was never going to happen. But um, <laughs> Kind of ended pretty quickly, that. Definitely. That <laughs> um, but, I mean, expectations just, like, kept rising and rising every week. I think they did incredibly well to keep winning for as long as they did. And, I mean... I mean, it's such a cliche, cliche to say it's like the losses that they needed to have, but, you know, they didn't need to have them, but I think it's okay they had them when they did because they learned a lot from them at that time. And they lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost to, and I think that was a reality check for them. I mean, like, losing to Essendon in Perth was, like, definitely, killer. <laughs> definitely the Essendon game yeah. in Perth. The Adelaide one was kind of like, oh, Adelaide really needed to win because they still had a sniff, so it was like, uh, I can see how that mm. happened. And Adelaide Oval is still not the easiest place. Although statistically, their record there isn't actually that amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the Sydney and the Sydney one was clearly there's a match up thing going on there. Yeah, the Sydney one was hard. Um, yeah, to have two losses against Sydney, well, that our only two losses at that point in time. That's um, that's a real red flag. I think that's going to be really hard to come up against them in the finals if we do. I think that, that mm. we might be. They'll be the team that kind of rattles us more, I think. Which is interesting because I and I know that we've said like the way that the 
top four lies or the top eight lies and the matchups actually are really going to be potentially really important because there are mm. teams that just match up well against other teams for whatever reason. I thought it was. Um, but on that, which teams on. which teams match up well when you have all when you have the three amigos up front? If you have the Frenchman, Jack and Josh, yeah. Which teams have you played with those three and not one? Mm. I don't think it's anyone. Just Sydney in round Sydney. one. Sydney round one. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was without Josh. Did you not play? Yeah, true. Yeah. No, he was out. Oh, so you've actually not dropped a game to any of those teams. Yeah. With, with those three. Because mm. that is that is the best. That's the best forward line in the comp once you roll in Rioli, once you roll in the rest of your mids going forward. Yeah. That's super scary. That's like today you were thoroughly outplayed in the first quarter and you kicked five straight. Like, yeah. <laughs> when you can do that, you can stay in games. And when you have the likes of those guys yeah. there that just kick straight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like when you lost those games mid year without them, everyone's like, oh, they're so reliant on this forward line. It's like, yeah, because their game plan is kick it down their throats. <laughs> and so then you can't do their game plan when they're not there. And that's not yeah. like, that's not a, a like slag off at, at Adam Simpson. That's to say, yeah. no, no, that's our game plan. And now we don't, and we can't do that because they're not there. Yeah, correct. And like, and it's, it's, same, not- it's the same thing when like Buddy gets at Sydney. They're like, oh, yeah. they're so basic. It's like, because yes, because you've got Buddy. <laughs> so you kick it to him. Like, yeah. if your game plan was like, yeah. we're not going to kick to Buddy, it's like, well, that's a dumb game plan. Definitely. So you shouldn't and be kicking I think, it to like, And it's better too, it's not like we're just counting on one player. It's like three, right? So yeah. it's like a whole line. So, yeah, yeah I don't think, it's, I didn't see it as a bad no, thing. I, I think Willie Rioli's as well a very handy player to have up there. Like, oh, and particularly so with that today. mixture of players around him. Like, gee, you, like, Without, like, obviously he's fairly good, but, like, if you're coming in and playing your first year in the AFL and you're at the feet of those two, like, you're going to be fairly happy with, with life. Yeah. Except true. in July. It's very interesting how how they use their smalls, though, because they're the one tenant that doesn't have smalls in in front of a leading forward. Mm. So you watch a Richmond play, Jack Rewalt will hit the pack, and then there'll be all our smalls in front, so, like, closer to the, mm. to the square, like the centre square than the goals, getting ready for him to essentially drop it. Mm. Whereas with West Coast, the expectation is is that if they don't mark it, it'll go over the top. So the so the small forwards go around the back towards the goal, like a goal side of the contest, not mm. not centre side. And so because there's a that's why I didn't quite work in that first quarter because yeah. they were still yeah the car Collingwood defenders were still quite fresh and you had a lot of space in the in the front side of that contest for them to rebound off. Yeah. But then once you start getting those three boys taking marks, it's like, well, game over. Like, yeah. And even though we didn't, like you said before, in, like in terms of pace in the game at the moment, like we didn't know how to use our pace at the start of the game. Like you saw that in the second half, like our pace just really carried us and we were able to run it down. And like you said, it doesn't matter if they stuff up when you've got that pace because they stuffed up a lot in the second half because they were running it so fast and trying to centre the ball and goal to give it off to those other smaller players. And they were fumbling a lot and they kicked a lot of behinds. Like we ended up just as bad... Um, in front of goal as Collingwood towards the end of the mm. scoreline. But it didn't matter because we kept just running it down, running it down. We had those um, smaller guys who were just so quick. And I think that's where like our strength is at the moment. Mm. And hopefully we can just keep running the ball like that and it doesn't matter that we might lose Nick Nat. How nervous game. were you in the third quarter? as a period of play where you think you hit that left post <laughs> that four times in a row. <laughs> I was so frustrated. That was a Wilbur post? Uh, yeah, that was – yeah. yeah. Um, I thought we probably might lose it from there because I thought we were losing our composure. Um, and Collingwood, to their credit, like they kept coming. Like, I think their defensive efforts were great. And like 
um, I said before, like I was out of the country all of June. And when I came back and saw that they were close to the top of the table, I was just like, who is this Collingwood? And I went back and watched some of their stuff. I was like, yeah, they've really taken it to another level this year. I'm actually really impressed, which I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, <laughs> I have strange Collingwood. Are you doing a, yeah. a Damien Howitt comment here? Are they the best team you've seen your opponents play against? Nah. <laughs> Strange. No. Damien Hardwood just says that about anyone that beats Richmond. He does. They reckon like, oh, or even teams that Richmond beat, like, they were the best team we played. He gave Adelaide no props in round two because I can. Yeah, that's fair though. Like, because Adelaide gave him no props, yeah. and his team was in a grand final, and they were like, "Who are these guys that we're playing this weekend? Yeah. Where did you come from? How dare you step on the same stage as us?" Um, and to round out that game, you, you said you're a bit concerned about Nick Nat. Mm-hmm. I don't think that'll be an issue for you guys. Because, yeah, doing a bunch of pieces for the for the magazine, and one of them is, I want to get rid of Ruckman. Like, so Nick Nack's safe because he's like he's more than a Ruckman. He's, such, he's, he's a utility player. Oh. Yeah. So much like Max Gorn. But, like, traditional Ruckman have <coughs> very little impact on the game. So I was, cause everyone's like, oh, like, even matchups, like, oh, I don't think Lysett's up against, to go against Grundy. Mm. But there's no correlation between hitouts and clearances. Yeah. Or even hitouts to advantage in clearances. There's no correlation between the teams that are good clearance teams who are also high scoring, and there's no correlations between hitouts, clearances, high scoring, or wins. So, like you could, and they're doing it now. I think like Joel Selwood started rocking in the Geelong Adelaide game. Yeah, like, you're right. There, like, well, we had Shy Bolton in the ruck, and Shy Bolton can't even play small <laughs> forward properly. <laughs> so yeah, because now teams are like, well, why have another? Like unless if they're, if they're a yeah. Max Gorn, if they're a, if they're a Nick Nad, then they're just clearly a good footballer. But yeah. why sacrifice a good footballer for just a tall guy that can tap it? Well, I think like my position on Nick Nat and why I think he would have rattled the team today is not even so much as like the position, like you were saying. It's more like his like his narrative, like the amount of time that he's been out of the game and like that hero story that he's come back in and he's that really, you know, tacky sort of spiritual leader of the club. And like he is, because like he just gets around everyone and you just, the stories that you hear from players talking about like his direct impact on their football and how they play for him. And I think to see him go down again in that way, I think probably more mentally rattles the team. And I think playing without him, not from a statistical point of view is an issue, but as like a team building sort of exercise is an issue. Mm. But mm. I mean, then you go down the other sort of sporting cliche and think, well, maybe they'll play for him now. So, but I mean, the Bob Murphy effect. Yeah, I just don't want his, like, I want a West Coast Premiership, but w- without Nick Nat on that dais getting his medal, oh, I just can't think about it right now. I'll just start crying a bit emotional. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, Freo have just beaten Port by nine points. Um, which is a, a huge plot twist. And I'd just like to refer to another tweet from Jack Watts doing things, which is so topical right now. Jack Watts shrugging and explaining that failure is the most authentic and natural thing in the world, which I think brings us quite nicely into a little conversation about Carlton and where Carlton are at, because they were fairly, uh, from all accounts, insipid on Friday night. And I think the immediate comparison is with Brisbane. And I know that this has been said by other media people. But, like, with Brisbane, you can see what it looks like. You can see what they're going to look like as a team when they get their shit together and, like, make the eight or something, when they're actually challenging. But, like, what do you see with Carlton and where do you see the problems lying? I see an unfair comparison, so I see. All right. So before the, start of the, before the start of the season, I predicted that Brisbane were going to win more than six games. How many have they won? They're with their three in a row, they're on four. Well, I would have predicted that as well. So, well done. I had Carlton winning at best two. 
probably one. Like this is this is the Carlton that I saw happening. Yep. And so to say that oh let's compare Brisbane let's compare Carlton because they both finished at the bottom of the ladder last year. Brisbane's Brisbane's talent is miles ahead of Carlton. Yeah, ready yeah, to, yeah, ready yeah. to go talent. The senior they've just been much smarter about who they got in at what time. Like they got in Luke Hodge. Carlton got in Daisy Thomas. Like <laughs> they're the comparisons. Like when you're bringing when you're bringing what? in people at like, at who have ended their careers elsewhere after success, and like you're going to bring in you know probably arguably the, the greatest captain of this this decade versus a guy who was a bit of a larrikin and a, on a premiership side, like those kind of things. They don't make smart decisions, and so well, that that goes back to the Malthouse days. It goes back to to when they got done for salary cap salary cap fixing, like yeah. It's it's been an issue they've never got rid of. Whereas, at least Brisbane had a period, they had a period of massive period of success, arguably the greatest team of all time. They obviously held on to that success through the likes of John O'Brown. They dipped massively. Everyone and then everyone got on that bandwagon of oh, football's done in Queensland. Could we put this Gold Coast team up there? And they're no good. We didn't give them any help. We did. We gave them a, a mm. terrible coach and a terrible list, and just said draft picks will fix everything. Draft picks won't fix everything. And then, but now coming at the end of that, and now they've convinced some players to stay. They've got some leaders over. Even mm. guys like Dame Beans have just come across, and it's the ones they've got who have been guys that weren't getting a proper go at their club come over here and said, You can actually build something here. Mm. And they've really appreciated that opportunity. Or it's like a guy like Lou Hodge being like, you can, you can actually have a more effect here than you can at your old club because you can help build yeah, and yeah. like nurture these youngsters. There's not none of that's at Carlton. No. And they also sell themselves short at Carlton. So the whole story this year is like there's no story of success. Yeah. Not once have we heard Bowling come out this year being like, "Oh, you know, it's our aim to play this brand of footy, this style, we're trying to get this many wins." That we like he just says about all these like little clichés and deflecting. He's scared to We have reset the football club. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all about green shoots and yep. he just speaks yep. in he speaks in clichés and he but he's getting away with it because that's what the that's what the that's supporters great. expect. Okay, so my question with, with with Carlton is, do you see the issues here? And I think this is a similar. Like, do you see them as recruiting issues or coaching issues? Because I know with Buckley, I was very much like Buckley can coach, keep him. I don't know where you feel what you feel Carlton are like in that sense. It's the same issue that Buckley had. Yep. Is that they don't have the list to do what the coach wants. Yep. Buckley just stuck fat with his game plan and went. You know what? I, I think it, I don't know this. I haven't, I haven't asked him, but from my idea of him as a player and a person, I think he went. I've got enough cachet here that I can do it my way for like long enough that even if we don't get the results I want immediately, I'll still be here in five years' time, and then then I'll have the list I want, which he does. I'll get the results I want, which he's getting. Mm. So Bolton yeah. doesn't have that. Because the thing was always, he always had the players' bucks. Like, in every interview, and Pendle's always Did repeated it. Like, he always said he had the players. Like, the players Ask always. Ask sure. Well, exception to the rule. But in general sense, he always had the playing group. Like, does Bolton have his playing group? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I honestly couldn't answer that. I, no, well, I, I don't mean, think anyone really could. But I think no. it's like, I mean, they're different timelines, and he's not been there as long. But I feel like he came in with such a different attitude to what he has now. Like, I don't think the players can sort of keep with how he's been changing. I don't know. And there's also a massive, like, he's not, 
so above all else, Bucks was just said we we want to be competitive week in week out. Like if we can show our, if we can show our supporters effort and just being combative and just having a crack, they'll forget us for everything else. Like we might not like they'll go, they'll go look at our list, look at our talent. We are a twelfth to tenth place team, which means that we'll win maybe once every three weeks. Mm. Because if we show up, then that's what will happen. And that's what happened. And they go, okay, cool. Like, I, un- I understand that. That's why that's just the lot I have being this fan of this club. Yeah. Carlton fans go to the football going, well, I don't know if our team will even try. Yeah, well, they don't really go that much. I know that Mark McClure has said that about Carlton in the sense that they're in danger of losing a generation of fans because mm. they've been mm. down for so long. Um, I think the interesting little last sort of point on Bolton is that Kane Corns came out and said that um, he's always got the fact that he didn't play at the highest level hanging over his head as a knock on his coaching, which I, I personally disagree with because, I, I mean, Bolton has still played at a fairly good level of football and I don't believe that you have to have played AFL to coach it. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that someone voiced that opinion and I'm interested in what you thought about it. That's Spollocks, but yeah. most of what Kane Corn says is Spollocks. Mm. So. As we've spoken about previously. But, um, Do you think no, that's something players think about? Not at all. Yeah. Not no, all. I don't think so, because I think as long as you can get... It had been far more important to me as a player that from someone like Bolton, you were getting a very clear message of what you wanted. Yeah. And something like, and also, like just how does he treat people is, mm. is as important as the fact that he played 300 AFL games. Like, I know that... Um, you would most players would just be treated as human beings, uh, old mate Jack Watts, for example, rather than have a like. There's a, yeah, I, I don't think it's the most important thing, and I don't think that you would ever have a problem with it if you were the right coach. I think we're getting very close to in all sports having coaches that didn't play teaching like, backgrounds. Yeah, teaching, I would argue, just, or just like yeah. psychology backgrounds or strategy backgrounds. Like, what is a coach? So, a coach is the CEO of the football department, really. Yeah, like. I, the, like no no coach at AFL level is going out there telling his players how to kick. No, he has someone to do that for. He him. has he has yeah. he has twelve people to do that for him. And you'd think, well, actually, we're going to draft people who can kick anyway. Yeah. So they need to get taught how to kick before they get to us. Well, so what he's all he's what he's doing is he head he's the head tactician, and then he's and then he's the school principal. He's making sure yeah. that everyone's behaving themselves, everyone's gelling. Because then you know, defense class is taught by the defensive line coach, yeah. and midfield class is taught by the midfield line coach. Like he's not mm-hmm. going rolling up his sleeves and doing everything. Yeah. I think it's also like if you have someone like Bolton, so say he is not – well, because this is the other thing. Like, okay, and I think this, it's really interesting where you draw the line here because it's like, okay, so Damien Hardwick played in a certain position. Nathan Buckley played as a midfielder. Can Nathan Buckley then coach forwards? But Nathan Buckley, his job is not to coach forwards. So whatever Nathan Buckley doesn't understand about forward craft, he has a line coach who was a forward for that reason. Like, And so I think that um, – like that stuff is all covered for if you understand the role of the coach. The most interesting example, I think, and this is probably the evidence that I would use if Kane Corns was sat at the table, is like the most successful managers in English soccer generally weren't the best players. There is there are obviously exceptions to the rule like Zinedine Zidane, but like Mourinho was an average footballer who played like second division. Arsene Wenger played like second division in France. Like that is generally how it goes in football, but then you understand the role of the manager in football and, like, they're not teaching the players how to kick. Like, in football, they have a manager and they have a coach at the football club. Like, so, in a way, the the calling that person the coach is actually almost misleading. Like, he, you're more like, he is actually the CEO of the football department or, like, the manager. Hmm. It, it would probably be a more appropriate term for what he actually does day in, mm. day out, which is what they have in soccer. They say, we have a manager. Hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And like you don't 
rock up to Manchester United training and see Alex Ferguson on the training track. Like, you see him, but he's not there, like, running drills. It's a different role. And that's not, like, Damien Hardwick runs stuff, but he also has six line coaches who run stuff. So I think I think it's like if you... it's And this is kind of, we've probably said this before, but, like, the, the heat should be on the football department as a whole, not just on the head coach. Mm. And that's like Richmond. Yeah. When Richmond had the year where they finished 13th, they got rid of assistant coaches. Like, the heat went on the whole department. They went, where's the problem? And that's where they got the problem from. The difference is, though, is that how... Harwick had a strong belief in that his version of football would win Richmond a premiership sooner rather than later. So that's why they got rid of the assistants. Mm. I Bolton, from what they play, so the the, the yeah. product the reason why head coaches get sacked is because the product that goes out is directly they're doing. So mm. it's like yes, they have assistants that help them do the the machination of that product, but the actual product is their that, that that's their ownership. And so we don't we don't know what Carlton play. No, and that's Brisbane that, yeah. play ultra aggressive football. Oh, they, they play they play Essen times three in terms of just like take risks, oh, go it's direct. So fun though, it's so fun, and it's like we'll just we'll just try and score lots and lots of goals, yeah. and we won't worry about defence. Carlton went from defending like ruggedly for two years, and then upsetting teams like GWS that Eddie had, mm, and their fans going go fans going nuts to this year trying to. Like be really aggressive, but like they're not it not working. Then them them realizing that we actually don't have any forwards that can do it other than one, and he's very young and can't be like this solo key Beast, forward. Yeah. So then maybe we'll go back to being defensive, but then we won't. We'll have slow ball movement, and then oh, we'll just. It's like they don't have a coach. They go out there and they just like, they just rely on Paddy Cripps get a clearance. Oh, Charlie Kerno get us six goals. Mm. Oh, Cade Simpson, can you can you please just like just defend and then rebound and then hopefully kick it to someone who can catch a football. And we have four of those people. Like they, their list is terrible. Their game plan is non-existent, and that's why I think he has un, he's under pressure. No, and, and I think for the reasons that you've explained, there should be pressure. I also don't necessarily think it's over for him at Carlton. Like I, I'm not convinced yet that he should be gone. I think that they just need to go through a phase of actually, like, very clearly defining what they have and what they can do with it, and where that leads. And that that's the difference between, and that's kind of where this started. Like Brisbane, they have this. You can see it. Mm. And you can see it, and it works with the parts that they've got. And Carlton don't have that. And until they do, there's got to be questions. And that's not it's not actually the results with Carlton. It's the fact that you can't see what it should look like. But it, it is a result in the sense that I think that Gold Coast... Carlton will win a premiership before Gold Coast do. Well, Gold Coast won't exist long enough to win a premiership at the rate that they're going. But but there's no talk about Gold Coast because they... No, no one cares. They're also not getting... Like, just repeatedly smashed by, like when Gold Coast plays Brisbane, when Gold Coast plays St Kilda, they they they're in they're in a game. Yeah, that's also true. Carlton's, I think, Carlton, yeah. Carlton got beaten by sixty points to the team that was above them by one place. Well, that's that's probably the most alarming. Thing. They've lo- I think they've lost by like a hundred and like a hundred and twenty points to against the two teams above them directly. Yeah, the yeah. That that's probably why people are all of a sudden like, oh my. That's God. not showing up to work. Like, Carlton yeah. has stopped showing up to work. <laughs> They're still getting paid and they're not turning up. You know what I reckon it is? I don't know where they work. It, I re- you know what I reckon it is? July? Yeah, definitely <laughs> July. And I can't blame them for not showing up to work in July. <laughs> we wanted to have a conversation, and Casey is a... Soon to be doctor of fanness, fandom. So if you have fans. any if you have any fan elements, please send them through we're at, to we're actually thinking Ask of doing Dr. A, Casey. Yeah, we're thinking <laughs> of doing a, a talk back segment, potentially with disgruntled Carlton fans. 
because um, they're some of my favourite people. Just I'm ahead here of, for you, Carlton fans. Yeah, just ahead of disgruntled Melbourne fans. But uh, Billing- that's, that's who they want to talk to. They want to talk to the number one poacher of Carlton talent. <laughs> West Coast Eagle fans. Yeah, right. They poached first. Yeah, well, that's a dark, dusty slope, isn't it? Who who went first? Because the best case scenario is that you get the best of both deals. Hmm. You get a flag with Juddy, and you'll get a flag with Kennedy as well. It's going to happen. I, I mean, there's a fair chance, actually. I don't. I, don't like, I kind of like that idea. Thanks, Carlton. You, you've done a double win there at Carlton's expense. Ha. Um, so Walker was booed at the MCG. Dangerfield is still getting booed at Adelaide Oval. We had the booing for Adam Goods. Um, everyone boos Toby Green, which maybe is understandable. But we just like, I just wanted to have a conversation about this because I know, Gordo, you are one of the more level-headed sports spectators with a, that still has a team. Like You're more of a supporter of the game, really. Mm. Like If you had to put the game up against Richmond, you would choose the game because that's the sort of person you are, mm. and I'm not angry or spiteful about it. But... Like I felt like with with the booing of Taylor Walker at the MCG, I was a bit like, we won the premiership, like we beat him there. Like, do we really need to boo him? Like, was kind of my feeling. Like, let's just win the game. That sort of says more. Um, but I, I was very interested in just like, why is this such an ingrained part of football tribalism? What have we not outgrown this need to just voice our disdain loudly? I think we just could be very basic AFL. Like football in England or, or football around the world has chants and a lot of those chants are directed at players or the opponents and sometimes they're, they're disgusting and sometimes they're a bit funny or whatever. But like most sports, like American sports, they, they sing songs or they'll have like little clap cheer-alongs. Again, they'll taunt or poke fun at players. Like it, it, I think it buys into the pantomime of sport. Mm. I am not a I'm not a booer, but I can understand why people do boo. I don't understand why players get booed, like, from the get-go. Mm. So, like, if you go out, like, Toby Green, when he kicks old mate in the head playing against the Bulldogs, I'm going to boo you for the rest of the game. Like, you kicked a player in the head. That's, you are now the enemy for this game. Like, that kind of, it makes sense. Like, like that's, I'd give permission to boo there. Yep. Toby Green... And that's like that's like the Stephen Milne thing. Is like if you're a bad person, are you like can we can we tell you you yet you're a bad person on the field? I I don't know how I feel about that. Like would yeah. you when it becomes personal? Like would you would you allow all Richmond fans to go and attack Taylor Walker on Twitter? Mm. Probably not. It's anonymous. It's groupthink. But it's all right to go out there and boo him at the MCG. Now, does he? Now, is it? Does it have the same effect? Because you know, on a yeah. Twitter thing, it's your personal space that they're invading. On on a football field, it's yeah. a, it's a public space. So, so you're becoming a performer. Are they booing Taylor Walker the person? Or are they booing Taylor Walker the character? And I think that's the, that's where I see the difference in booing, which is why like the Adam Goods booing saga was horrific because they were booing Adam Goods the person. Like we're yeah. booing you yeah, because yeah, yeah. you stepped out of the character. And did things that we don't want footballers to do, and we'll move on to the, this conversation a bit later as well. So you are no longer like we're going to boo you, and that's why it affected him so much. Mm. Whereas I don't think I don't think Taylor Walker actually minds like the danger field. They're not booing danger field because he's a bad person. They're just going, "You left our club. We don't like that. You're now the enemy." Yeah, but like after three years, is it like can we not just move on? Oh, okay. Okay. The flip side of that then is that do you want? Do you want the myth of the one club player to remain? I don't think it's dead. Well, then that's why we boo. Because in the States, you don't. 
You know what happens when you go back to the your old club in you the States? Cheered. You get cheered. Uh, sometimes your jersey gets retired. Usually there's like a highlights montage of how great you were for this for, the, for this franchise. Strange. Imagine that at Adelaide Oval before Danger rolls out for Geelong. Here's Dangerfield's highlights in an Adelaide jumper. Yeah. Like, yeah, different different environment totally. And the interesting one is when you, when you leave and come back. So, like, Gary Ablett was getting booed when he played for Gold Coast, and then he came back, and now he's the prodigal son again. So <sighs> that happens. But like, I just feel like so much of this, and I'm sure you've got a, a far more educated opinion here than I do, Casey, but so much of this is just learnt behaviour. Absolutely. It's definitely learnt behaviour. And I think it's really interesting what you said before, Gordo, about distinguishing like performers and people. Because I think what we do as a society in sport, particularly Australian rules football, is we're brought into that space under this guise of that we have a sense of entitlement to lose ourselves. Like, because I think we like what you were saying with the performers and the people on the field, that's what we are as fans in the stands. Like we get to leave our person outside of that and we get to be someone else. Like that's our space to yell and get rid of all the stress we have in our lives. We get to be there with the people that we love, the people who support our team and we're kind of become that tribe, like you said. So I think what we do when we get brought into that space and it is that learnt behaviour, that's where we get to let loose. And I think... Like you said, I'm not really a booer. I'm a pretty, like, I will sit pretty silently unless I see a West Coast Grand Final. I probably get pretty vocal. But um, I don't boo. I'm not derogatory. I try to be really positive. But um, I don't have an issue with people who do boo poor performances on the field. Um, Like, I don't have an issue if Carlton fans want to boo their team at the moment because I think it's pretty deserved. Um, I don't have a (laughs) problem with people booing, like, a really unsportsmanlike act on the field because I think that's the performance, that's the sport. But what happens is when you do get issues like Adam Goods, people use the excuse of that sense of entitlement that they come to sport that they can boo on the field and to mask those issues. So I think that's where it gets really dangerous. Yeah, I think you have to know what you are booing and what you're booing for and have an understanding of it beyond a group think to actually know what the implication of what you're doing is. Correct. So that was the thing with Adam. I was like, no, we're just booing him because we don't like the way he plays football. I'm like, yeah, but there's so many people booing him because of Adam Goods, the person, and mm-hmm. him stepping outside of what we wanted him to be as a footballer. And people not being able to differentiate that just led to that chorus expanding, I think. But I think people can differentiate between that, but they don't want to because I think when they are forced to do that, they think they're losing something in football. Mm. And that's when they become really like defensive and angry because you're taking something that's theirs, that's been given to them. Um, you know, it's the people's game, like yeah. your podcast is called. So when you make them think about this is bigger than football, this is an issue yeah. that runs through our society, that's when they say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this in my space, my way, and you can't tell me. Yeah, it was almost defiant in a way. Correct. Some of the, I think some of the good, Some of the Adam Good stuff was was people just like, so heavily attached to their right to boo mm-hmm. that they didn't want to let that go, even in the face of the fact that that booing was rec- reflecting an Australia that, frankly, isn't a great place to be. Um, my sort of argument on the flip side of that is, like, by being so invested in the tribalism or that need to boo or to hate the opposition, like, you lose the ability to respect just, like, amazing things that happen on a football field. Like, mm. I'm very much like, if someone from the other team does something that's ridiculous, I'm generally quite happy to sit there and go like, 
that was that was amazing. Like Gary Ablett two weeks ago kicked a goal with a wet ball from like fifty seven meters out on his right foot on an angle, and I was just like, like wow, like that's miraculous. Yeah. But if you get so drawn into that, you then lose the ability to appreciate that, and I think that's a shame for your own spectator experience. Like you're you're selling yourself short because there's two teams that go out there and have the capability of doing amazing things. There's an interesting take on that though, right over in the US called Shay Serrano. Wrote about say that six times quickly. Yeah, I know, it's hard, isn't it? Uh, wrote about uh, the his favorite players to hate. Yep. And so, like, he loves rooting against LeBron. Hmm. He actually broke it down. He actually created a list. He, cre- he created a list, but also created like criteria that players have to fit into for before him for him to hate them effectively. <sighs> so, like, they have to be really good. Mm. They have to be specifically really good against your team. They have to be. Um, they have to kind of fit that like Machiavellian kind of character mm-hmm. of being like the pantomime enemy, and yep. then I can then I feel alright. Like he, I don't think he's a bill or anything like that. <clears throat> Toby Green, but I think, <laughs> but I yeah. So Toby Green for me is my example. Like he's 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 the stories I've heard about him as, as a person off field kind of play into it as well. But he's kind of his attitude on the field. You look at him, and you just go like. He is what uh, JB would call a tip rat. Like and he Hayden has, Ballantyne was the same. Yeah, Hayden Ballantyne. Yeah. Hayden Ballantyne isn't, isn't as good though. I don't hate. I find Hayden Ballantyne cheeky because he's never gonna. He's never gonna. He's never gonna win a game for his yeah. team. And I found, he'll dob a few goals. Yeah. Whereas, so like the three, you, the three comparisons is a kind of good way to do it. I think. So you got Eddie Betts, Hayden Ballantyne, Toby Green. They're all very similar players. They all play that pocket goal snake can do kind of things. Probably Cyril. As well as in there, you would never boo Cyril. You never boo Cyril because Cyril's an absolute legend. Like he just does, he does those awe-inspiring yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't boo or even hate on Eddie Betts, even though he always scores like probably against your team, and he has a great record against some teams. They'd go, "Oh my god, Eddie Betts going to kick four on us tonight again." But it's more like it's more like adoration and respect, and then just kind of like disappointment when it happens. You're like, "Oh, he did it again." And then you have Hayden Ballantyne, who I think is cheeky because you're not scared of him. You go, oh, you're going to do some things. He's annoying. You're, you're a bit of a he's, pest. Yeah, a he's a rat. He's, like, he's not like going to kick six and He's like kill Heath Shaw. You're like, oh, you're annoying. Oh, you're I bit, love Heath Shaw. But you're a bit funny. See, he's, he's a larrikin. He's, mm. he's a bit of a joker. Toby Green is a mix of that. So he's a devastatingly good footballer. He can take a game from you away from you at any time. Mm. And that's like when he started playing well last night, I was like, no, oh, gets me again. But then he also does things on the field, like he'll jump a punt on you, he'll kick someone in the head. Like he is the villain on the field. He plays all those roles. He yeah. plays all those roles that makes him perfect to, to hate. hate. I was just to say, it's interesting what you said about the Serrano stuff, because I think from his perspective, what he's looking at in hating those players is it's from also a great like point of respect for those players mm. too. So he's not, I think he is looking at them and hating on them, but he's not doing what you were saying before, Jack. Like he's still able to watch them and enjoy their performances, perhaps not mm. so much when they're playing against his team. I think he's a Spurs fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can understand how devastating it is when he sees LeBron smack down on his team. But I think he still enjoys LeBron as an athlete from a fan perspective. Yeah, mm. I don't enjoy Toby Green as an athlete. Really? Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't. I have no ability to appreciate Toby Green. He could do something amazing and. He does, regularly. uh, He did last night. Yeah, he did. It's annoying. I think, is there anyone that I hated that was a great athlete that I didn't (sighs) enjoy? It's probably like someone like Matthew Pavlich as like a Frio player because I just can't stand Frio. Pav. That's a free, I think. I, well, I I think. I knew he was great, but yeah. every time I watched him, I just. Hmm. The, um, 
the Heath Shaw one's interesting. Because I used to look at Heath Shaw and be like, you're a nutcase, man. But like... <laughs> Please. There was a really good article in The Age that someone... I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Quail. We did with, with Heath Shaw. And then there was the Narrowly Meadows interview the other night. And like, it's kind of like that of him and him being like his OCD I sort of found quite amusing and like yeah and I think the idea of Heath Shaw meditating was almost funnier to me than the idea of Dusty meditating but I, I like I actually like watching Richmond play against Heath Shaw like mm. I, I love Heath Shaw he's almost my favorite non-Richmond player now just for various and that's actually so the point that I'm trying to make there is that's partly because of the way that the media have covered him. Mm. So they've managed for me to take a player that I previously didn't like and to humanise him and, oh, Heath Shaw has all of his T-shirts really nicely organised and all of his shoes really nicely organised. Like, well, and he'd spend like eight hours cleaning his house. I'm not like, man, Heath, can you come around and clean my house? But like, but yeah, like I thought that was a role that football media should play more. And so my immediate thing here was the Jesse Hogan thing, which I mentioned to you off air because there was a night which was an Anzac Day Eve game. Jesse Hogan was playing pretty well because he's gun, um, killing us. And it was a bit heated in the crowd because there were some fairly pissed Melbourne supporters who were being rat bags. And I just remember like calling Jesse Hogan a weak prick. And this was a not long after he punched Crips in the goal square, and I was there. And I was like, that's that's a bad thing. And then like a week later, Jesse Hogan had testicular cancer, and his father had passed away and I was like gee (laughs) like I got that a bit wrong and that was that was in that instance I was like maybe like I that was I felt like bad and like ridiculous and like I'd totally lost myself unnecessarily at someone who probably didn't deserve it so that was like a moment for me like you know what maybe just like chill a little bit JB the one I find more confusing I I think it's very specific to AFL is the hating of our own players Mm. like like St Kilda fans yeah. <laughs> uh, love to hate on Zach Dawson, like when he was playing there, like Zach Dawson. I think Freo fans too. Yeah. Like we like um, the Tyron Vickery thing. Tyron Vickery, oh. Steve Morris <laughs> at Richmond as well. Oh, I love Steve Morris. But like there were people that have been like had like just yeah, and so like and again mm. like like the first message I always get is when the the fringe twenty two player of X team does something that's not amazing. Yeah. And then the, like a, a fan Yeah, and then a fan of that club would be like, Oh, what is why does Greenwood still get games to the pies? It's ridiculous. I hate Greenwood. Like, don't kick it to Greenwood. Like that guy needs to retire. Like we love like Yeah, we do. We almost yeah, love we hating our own club more than we love hating the Well we have club. to have someone to blame when we're not winning. <laughs> like me the other night. Like who who am I annoyed at? Shy Bolton and Corey Because that one I find Worse, like going and going yeah. and booing the villain, you say like the pantomime. Them. Well, as but like even like the things that like you, people, you, we boo the like the pantomime villain. We we go over the fence and we give a gobful to memory when he misses from point blank from these kind of things. And so when you said like I reckon Carlton deserve to be booed for their performance, mm-hmm. that's the one where I challenge people and be like, flip it. It's like you're having a terrible like that's. That's the one where if you had if you had been a Melbourne fan, being like, "Why is Jesse Hogan playing so poorly?" Giving him lip over the fence, and then the next week you find out he has testicular cancer, and then the week after that you find out his dad passed away. That's that's poor form for mine. You booing mm. him as as the as the villain of a performance piece, yeah, interesting, is very different. Yeah, and so that's when like you go, "Would you like it if I came up to your work?" And so you've had a terrible day, you've just lost a sale or you've just, you know, cost your, cost your shop money or whatever you do. And I, and I give you a gobful and be like, you're, a t- you're terrible, you should retire, you should not work here. <laughs> like you'd, you'd be like, what are you doing? You I know, feel like that when a- people make a bad coffee for me. 
Yeah, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't go to the barista and be like, you burnt this coffee, you're useless. <laughs> you see, I can't, this is strange, but I can't, like, I hate taking food back or complaining about food hmm. in a restaurant. Which is ridiculous. And most yeah, people do. do. Most people have that kind of like... Because I've paid like 25 bucks for this, but someone hasn't done their job properly. But go into the group think attitude yeah. and then yeah. suddenly it's yeah. okay. I think what I was trying to contextualise with the Carlton example was more based on recent performances where then I, in my opinion, don't think they're putting their best effort in mm. and they are listless out there and lifeless. Mm. I think that... Not that I would do it, but I can see why other people would boo and I think I'm okay with that. And the difference is it's a group. So... You, it's a group of fans booing the group, like booing themselves almost, being like, we yeah. are not happy. It's direct feedback. Yeah, because they're representing you. Like, you have invested mm. in that team. That's part mm. of your identity. They're out there on the pitch for you. They're playing for you. And when they're not putting in that effort that mm. you want to see, um, and that's where you're making those comparisons with Brisbane before. Like, Brisbane fans can see that their team is out there playing their guts out for them. and that's where they can cheer that. And if they're not having the best season, it doesn't matter because they're representing them in a positive way, whereas I don't think Carlton are doing that. Mm. But, you know, if I had someone come up and boo me in my office and I was not putting in 110%, I'd be like, all right, fair call. Like, yeah, I was um, phoning that one in. (laughs) Thanks for the feedback. But I work really hard and I try really hard every day at what I do. So if someone did boo me, then I would be offended. So that's the difference. Like, if you're Zach Dawson, you're you're doing extras. You're you're doing everything you possibly can. You're battling, you're busting your ass to make this 22. And then you accidentally kick a turnover, which turns into a goal. And then I boo you. You're like, well, what more can I do? I'm just doing the best that I can. And this is the thing also that came out of Players Week on Fox Footy is that like the number one thing that players hate is like these incessant shows that break down like the, the classic clip of like like what happened to Watts plenty of times in his career being like, he ducked. He knew the concept was coming from behind and he ducked. You know, you know what happens if I go to shape up to hit you in the back of the head, Jack? I probably duck. You probably duck or try and avoid contact because <laughs> he's a human being. And that's, and that's the thing we forget. So it's like, yeah, as you said, like we boo, could we boo the character? We kind of chastise the character. And we, where do we, where do we stop that? And when do we, when, when do we forget that that character is also a real person? Um, and Book Club is an Al Jazeera article about the racist myth of the physical African football team. So this is slightly World Cup focused, but we are going to sort of lasso it back into talking about AFL. Um, so this one is essentially about the idea that African football teams are extremely physical and their their only real asset isn't tactical or technical. It's completely powerful um, and in, like about their physical demeanour. And I think the example in the article is really about Senegal. Um, but it is quite an interesting thing because I myself have mentioned, like, when you watch, like, Japan play against uh, the Ivory Coast, for example, you get a sort of a, a, a team with a very rigid structure against, like, this sort of team of mavericks. Um, and so the, the question really, and this is sort of an open question, is, like, what myths do we have in football that rely on stereotypes or racial stereotypes? Uh, I think it's spun positively, but like the the stereotype that like all indigenous footballers are these like mythical football gods. Mm. Even like the myth of Rioli now as well. Like everyone, like every Rioli will be amazing at football. And like to an extent they are. Well, there's also but, some Riolis that are pretty average at football. Yes. 
Correct. And you just don't hear about them. Yes. So I think I think two there's two parts of this. I think we probably have a selection bias that indigenous people are only likely to get picked in the AFL if they're really good because of the other stereotypes that society has about indigenous people. Mm. And the, and, and they, they they won't fit in with the rest of the club yep, because yep, the club's yep, majority yep, white yep. and all that kind of stuff. So the ones that do get picked and drafted are amazing and then because of that they're amazing in the AFL. Yeah. So you see that already. And then the second yeah. one is it kind of downplays everything else they do. Because, like, so the Willie Rioli dropped 16 kilos to make it back into the mm. Wiggles team. Like, no one really mentions that. That was a butter-by comment. It was mentioned that, vaguely the other night, and I was surprised that I hadn't heard about it earlier in the year, oh, yeah, to right. be perfectly honest. And it's like, yeah. that's, that's a huge, that shows dedication. That shows all the other traits you'd see of some kind of, like, our favourite white footballer, AFL footballer thing is, like, the battler who was picked at pick 60, and then he just did extras on extras, and mm. he played a year in the twos, and then he came in one a premiership. Like all that kind of stuff, and then and then all the things, all the tropes that we like love to lord in football are like the club player, the teammate first, yep. the selfless acts, the one. Club but all player. the things that we, all the things we talk about when indigenous players are this like maverick skill and magicianry, and like mm. all our individual, like it's like they cannot be an indigenous player cannot be have the same traits and be celebrated for being as like a white player would. Yeah, I yeah. think it's interesting because there's a quote. And Nathan Buckley played a lot of football in Darwin as a junior. And there's a quote that he sort of said where, like, everyone or white players forget the tune of the game every now and then, but Indigenous players never lose the tune. Well, that was completely disproven this week. Yeah. When Cyril retired. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but And also, there's sort of inherent, like, that's the sort of a belief in the fact that you can naturally be inherently good at football without practice, which undersells the fact that, those indigenous kids kick the ball just as many times. That's why they're so good at kicking it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, but also, that's he's not talking about indigenous people. He's talking about kids. What he actually means is kids don't forget the tune of football. Like, when you're a kid, you go out there and you kick the footy and you play. Even you play competitively, you're not getting mm. paid. There's no pressure. There's no in- endless like analysis of your performance. It's just, oh, I'm playing footy because it's fun. And then you realise it's not always going to be fun when you turn pro. So he's... Like that statement applies to every single kid playing kick to kick in the backyard, or mm. like not just Indigenous people. Mm. And you were talking today, Casey, about Majak playing on a lyre mm. and the way that was responded to. Yeah, well, I think that brings up another issue, which sort of goes along that same theme: is that you look at examples in the game to sort of like when we're talking about the Indigenous people, we're trying to put them up on this other pedestal of like the best that the Indigenous population can be, which is very problematic. And what Mm. I'm seeing now with all this commentary that we have that's really unfortunate around, you know, African gangs in Melbourne, what I would be looking for in the newspapers this week is people who are looking at that matchup of Magic Door and Alira Lear trying to reposition that and saying, well, here's the example of the best that that group of people can be. Um, in the commentary in today's game, it was they were always picked out like, look at this. This is like magic yeah. happening. This is amazing. Look at these two pure forms of athleticism. And I think that also goes back to that narrative of it takes away the hard work that they do to get there. Like they do have this natural magic within them. And I think magic's like a theme that runs through the Indigenous players too, is, yeah. um, which I actually picked up when I was tweeting about Cyril retiring. I used the word magic. I said something like, I'm going to miss your magic, Cyril. And I thought about that and I was like, yeah, wow, that's such an interesting and loaded yeah. word. And I went back through a lot of tweets and it's like, yeah, magic and fantasy always come up in yeah. that conversation. And I find um, it so interesting. Sort of, There's an almost like a... 
black magic sort of witch doctor stereotype that's still sort of yeah. relied upon or played upon in that. Because I did, like, Dad said that to me before, like, Jeff Farmer was nicknamed the wizard. Hmm. And you never sort of, I can't remember the last time I described an action by a white footballer as magic. Hmm. Hmm. And it's interesting because, like, I'm not that familiar with Dreamtime culture and I don't want to pretend that I am and I don't know the stories that they use um, in, amongst their own communities. So perhaps that is a strong narrative that they use in some way, but I think for us to put that on top of them as the reason why they're so good is just not how it, we should be talking about their football talent in that space. But then also I don't think we should be using that as a way of elevating these people up to a certain point that the rest of their community needs to aspire to be. Because I think what I saw with the Aaliyah, Aaliyah and Magic Door um, conversation today, and it was only a little bit, was almost like a we've got to put these guys up now because we need to fight this issue, which is essentially kind of a non-issue, right? Like, mm. I mean, it is an issue, but the media are making it out to be something that it's not. So we use athletes in that space to counteract something. And I think we saw that in the Adam Goods thing because he stopped performing in a way that we wanted him to be that yeah. was a message to other Indigenous people of how to be a good Australian. And when he started, started playing back and saying, well, hang on, this is who I am and this is how I want to talk about my people and my experience, we chastised him. Hmm. So I think that's such an interesting space and it's so complicated and it's... um. Yeah, I don't know what um, the answer is to try and bring those issues more to the front because I think the more we talk about them, people get more defensive about them. Mm. Well, there was a talk around the war in Iraq about good Arabs and bad Arabs, which was almost like a direct George Bush quote. And there's almost like a like a stereotype we or a way we expect Indigenous players to be mm. in terms of like they fit in with us. And yeah. when Adam Goods went outside that... He was very, very quickly shut down in Correct. quite a loud and public mm. way, which was the booing. Um, and so I still think we have an, an idea that we impose upon players. And I even think with someone like Majak Dor, like if you ask a lot of people, they'd be like, Majak is big and he's black. Like Majak is so muscular because he must spend an enormous amount of time doing weights. Mm. Like, and doing physical training that makes him an amazing footballer and must have been doing that for a long period of time. Like, that's got nothing to do with the colour of his skin. No. Definitely. Oh, you only just need to compare games and when he debuted. Like, he didn't know how to use his size. He was so awkward. Mm. And you look at him now, like, he's worked on that. Yeah. And the, and the, and the exact comparison we can make is Mason Cox to Magic. Yes. Because it's Magic, it's just like, oh, it's a display of raw athleticism. Because he's, no, he's seven foot yeah. tall and whatever. Mm. Like, the weight... Like yeah, Mason's like not not as bulked, but they weigh about the same. They're about the same height. They have roughly the same background in terms of like sports played prior. Mason's story is that let's laugh about how bad he was at Collingwood's training when he first met Nathan Buckley. Yeah, and let's go through all the reps he did and all the things that he did and all the extra tape he does. And now he's this pivotal player for Collingwood. Magic's just like oh, this is magic. This is amazing. This is like how did this happen? It's incredible. Mm. No, it's not. It's hard work and it's dedication. Yeah. And it's learning. Yeah. I actually think that's that's such a great comparison. It's just like because you think about though your everything you do and everything we talk about and every way the media speaks, do we just talk about those players in totally different ways? Mm. And they're almost the same scenario. I'd love to speak to um, 
like some indigenous people about this narrative and get their opinion. I mean, I'm very conscious that we're three white people sitting here talking about this too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wonder how they perceive it when white people use the term yeah magic or um, like yeah. mystical terms to describe their athleticism. Like, I wonder what their position is. All right, well, on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening again. Thanks so much to Casey for joining us, the uh, the doctor of fandom. It's always a pleasure, and it's great that you're back from the States, and it is great for you that West Coast started winning, although not so for me. Uh, and Gordo, as ever, it is good to see you. I'm going to leave you this evening, people of the people's game, with a final tweet from Jack Watts. Uh, Jack Watts angrily maintaining that best and fairest are mutually exclusive qualities. It wasn't easy to explain... I was just waiting on the platform Trying to keep out of the rain That's what you get When you wait